Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. My name is Mark, and I want to ask you just right out of the gate if you would stand one more time because we're beginning a new series, and with each new series, we have a memory verse. So because we have a new series, we have a brand new memory verse, and I just want us to say it together. It's going to show up on the screen, and just read it and say it out loud together with me. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name, John 20, 31. Let's pray. God, as we get here this morning, whatever is on our heart, what we seek more than anything is life. We are tired of death and the things that don't lead to life. So help us believe, help us learn what you want us to see today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you would. Now, somebody asked me a while ago that, hey, you're not wearing a jersey, I noticed. And, uh, and so I, I just wanna explain why that is because I actually always buy a jersey when the Cowboys won a Super Bowl. And so I was 10 years old when they won last, it just doesn't fit anymore, so, <laughs> right? Hey, I'm glad you're here today because today's the Super Bowl and you know, every year the season begins and as the season begins, all 32 teams have one goal. They wanna advance to the Super Bowl, right? But only two advance. And then today we're gonna watch the two teams that advanced to the Super Bowl. And I hope you enjoy the game and I am so glad you're starting off the day here. You may be planning a Super Bowl party and you began the party here and we are glad you did. But advancing is not unique to the NFL. The desire to advance is something that we all have. I mean, you think about it, you wanna advance in your health, right? You wanna advance in your career. You wanna advance in your relationships. You wanna advance maybe by having a bigger home, by having a better home, by remodeling your current home, or maybe by going from renting to, to, to owning. We wanna advance in all areas of our life. Nobody wants to go backwards. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be uh, actually studying on how we can advance our faith. I think all of us want to advance our faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study the life of Jesus through the book of John, where Jesus is going to reveal how we can advance our faith. But right out of the gate, we got to recognize something. In order to advance our faith over the next three weeks, as we learn what Jesus has to say about how to do that, there are a lot of us who are here today who would say, advance my faith? I don't even have a faith. I don't yet believe I'm here because somebody invited me and they promised me lunch and I hope the nachos weren't lunch. I want more and I got it. And we're glad that you're here, but you might say, you know, I don't even have a faith. I don't know that I even believe. You know, I look around the world and I see a lot of injustice. I see a lot of difficulties in this world. I see a lot of pain and suffering. And I don't know if I want to believe in a God that would allow that. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm here today, I don't know that I have a faith because I have a hard time believing in a God I can't see. Or maybe you're one of the people who would say, you know what, I used to have a faith, but it feels like a long time since I really believed. You know, you might be one of the people who would say, you know, I remember that for me, I was like in elementary school or I, I, was in, uh, I was a teenager and we went to some summer camp and I remember making some kind of a spiritual decision, but then 
I got older, I entered the real world, and life got complicated, and someone I loved got sick, or I lost a job, or I lost a marriage, or I lost a friendship, and now I can't even remember why it was I believed in the first place. I just want to tell you, you aren't alone, that we all wrestle. Some of us see our faith like a sawtooth where we feel like some days it's up and it's bright and bold and some days it's down and it's dark and I doubt, right? And sometimes that is an exhausting journey of trying to believe. And if that's you and you've brought questions in with you, you've brought doubt in with you today, I am so glad you're here because as we go through the next three weeks, we have to begin here because that's where all of us begin our journey. And I just wanna make a statement right out of the gate that for me it's emotional every time I think about it because I believe it's so true and that is at its core, Christianity is not a system to believe but a savior to behold. And what we're going to learn is if you wanna take a step in belief, it isn't about wrapping your arms around a particular issue or a particular theology or a particular doctrine or a particular passage but there is a person at the core of our faith, and he is worthy of beholding. He is worthy of just getting to know, of getting to glance on. So we're gonna study the book of John. In fact, we can go ahead and turn there if you want. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. You can find table of contents, book of John, go to chapter one. We're gonna be there in verse 29 here in just a second. Let me give you a quick introduction because if you're not familiar with the book of John, the one thing that's always confusing right out of the gate is there are two different guys who go by the name John. So there's one guy called John the Baptist and he's kind of like this eccentric advanced evangelist who goes ahead of Jesus and he's actually the cousin of Jesus and he's sort of bold and different and so we'll just think of him as the crazy cousin, okay? That's John the Baptist, right? And then there's another John and his is John the Apostle or he's often called John the Beloved. He's the one who actually writes this book that we're about to read, the book of John. And he's in the inner circle, one of the closest friends of Jesus during his journey on earth. And what we're about to read is what John the Apostle wrote because he had a front row seat. He's an eyewitness to the entire life of Jesus' public ministry. And so he's recording things for very specific reasons. And now Jesus comes on the scene for the very first time. Can you imagine that introduction? And John the Baptist gets to introduce Jesus to the world. Some people are already following John the Baptist there around Bethany, the Jordan River, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and and John the Baptist gets to introduce him and look what he says. And in a minute, we're gonna see a bunch of people who have questions, so if that's you, you're going to be able to identify with some of the folks in the story today. So John chapter one, and we'll begin in verse 29. It says, look, or behold, in some of your translations, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And right out of the gate, some of your translations say behold. I love that word, it's to glance, it means to observe or to look, it means to focus on, to really see, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the next day, 
Jesus comes back to that same place. And I want you to see how John introduces Jesus. Once again, look at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, people who are following John, Andrew, and we're not sure who the other guy is. Some think it's actually John the apostle who's writing this. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, look what he said. Look, the Lamb of God, or behold, the Lamb of God. Notice what he didn't say. What he didn't say was, if you believe the right things, then enjoy Jesus. No, he just says, start here. Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Now that meant something. Why is it John that keeps calling Jesus the lamb. See, that, was, that triggered something in the ears of a first century Jewish person who would have heard John call Jesus the lamb of God because if you remember, in the Old Testament, there's this system of every year a lamb would be taken to a high priest. You would take a lamb to a high priest and that high priest would take that lamb and it would be sacrificed to cover your sins for a year. It was a Ritual that everyone had been practicing since the beginning of Genesis. We see this over and over again. And now they know that John is making a massive claim. He's the lamb. He's the perfect lamb who takes away the sins permanently. Now in their mind, they've been hearing about this coming Messiah for centuries, right? And they know about their great-grandparents used to talk about it, their grandparents used to talk about it, their parents used to talk about it, and now here they are talking about it as well. And they show up one day, and now John, this eccentric guy, is claiming that that's the Messiah. Can you imagine how big of a leap that would take for them to believe that? And so you know what they did? They begin to go, I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of doubts. I, I don't know if I buy that. And you know what John the Baptist does in response to their hesitation? He just says, well, why don't you just follow him? Why don't you spend some time with him? He doesn't say, no, and you gotta believe him. He's trying to convince them. He asked them to follow him. Now, I wanna, want you to see what they did. Look at the next verse, it says, when the two, verse 37, when the two disciples, so one is Andrew, the other one we don't know, is probably, possibly John the apostle. When they heard John the Baptist say this, they followed Jesus. They just said, okay, well, we're gonna spend time with him. They don't yet believe. In fact, they're very skeptical but this is too fascinating for them to not want to learn more. And turning around, Jesus sees them following him and Jesus says, what do you want? Or what is it that you're seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like that's an odd question, right? You would expect them to say like, hey, I, I've got all these questions about the Torah. I've got all these questions about the Lamb. I've got all these questions about the Messiah and you claim to be, but they just go, where are you staying? Because they wanna spend time with him. They're not ready to have one question and it be answered and all of a sudden everything gets fixed. They, it's a lot more complicated for them. They're not sure they believe. They're not sure if this makes any sense. They're just willing to take a journey. So they said, where are you staying? Now, when they ask Jesus and they question Jesus, don't you relate to that? Some of us were like, you know, that's the way I feel. And you would wonder, how does Jesus respond to people who question him? How does Jesus respond to people who doubt his goodness? And you might expect Jesus in this passage to go, well, you can come follow me, but only if you know the Bible inside and out. 
Only if you're going to you know, make a lot of sacrifices or if you remove all your doubt, then you can come follow me. We sort of have, I don't know if you're that way, but I don't know where I got it. It's nowhere in scripture, but I want you to see how Jesus responds because if you have questions today, this is how he responds to you. Look at verse 39. He says, well, come and you will see. There's an invitation to spend time with him. And so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him and it was about four in the afternoon. And I just think that's the best news for anybody who has questions. Jesus welcomes people who have questions. Jesus welcomes people who are skeptical. Jesus welcomes people who doubt. Jesus welcomes people who don't claim they have it all together and they're just wondering and they're genuinely interested. Jesus welcomes you. And now I want you to see what happens because they spent a significant amount of time together. We don't know exactly how long. But after they've spent time with Jesus, watch what happens in their heart. Verse 40, Andrew, one of those two, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who had heard that what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And watch this, as a result of his belief, the very first thing he does, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, his brother, and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which then translated is Peter. All of a sudden, Andrew is beginning to believe. Notice he didn't yet say, Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's not there yet. But he is beginning to say, well, he's the Messiah? And, and you can't help but wonder if his brother Peter says, now come on. And he goes, look, I, I don't know, just, just come with me. And let's travel with him and let's learn more. And so watch what happens because the reality is Andrew's all excited because he's met and believes he may be meeting the Messiah. And so he begins to tell other people that he cares about because what he knows is it's life-giving to bring people to the source of life. And so he can't not do that. And watch what happens. We begin to see sort of a, a, a ripple effect because the next day, verse 43, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So this is many miles up north from where they'd been in Bethany all the way up to a town of Bethsaida. And so this is around the Sea of Galilee, many days travel they begin to leave it says the next day and then it says they found Philip as if they were searching for him we're going to see why I believe they were searching for him in a second and Philip no doubt also has questions I don't know about all this is this this is too much to swallow and Jesus says to him well just follow me he invites him to come closer too he's just like you know what you come and join this group and travel with me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So they're from the same town. I believe Andrew wanted to immediately share the goodness of God with his brother who he was closest to. And once Peter and Andrew began to follow Jesus, they went to their best friend who they cared about, who was from the same town, and they began to share Jesus with them. And they said, hey, you gotta come and follow this Jesus. And this is how the gospel goes forward. One 
person at a time. When we look around Collin County with all the explosive growth, if you're like me, sometimes you think, how in the world can we make a difference in the kingdom here? And the reality is it's gonna be one person at a time, one changed life at a time. And this is simply saying, come and see to the people you care about that you know that God has already supernaturally placed in your life. It's you being intentional to go to them and share Christ with them. That's why we love to say around here, hey, would you just come and sit with me? This isn't like, hey, would you go to church with me sometime? Because you know what that means. It's like, would you go to lunch with me sometime? It means nothing. But I want you to come and sit with me and let's take this journey together, just like Andrew did to Peter, just like Peter did to Philip. Hey, let's just travel together and let's go to Jesus. My job isn't to convince. My job is just to lovingly invite. And now we're beginning to see the gospel go forward. And you go, how did these disciples ever become these amazing people who loved God and thrived in their relationship with Jesus? It began with, hey, you just want to come and follow? I don't know. I don't know that I have all the answers, but you just want to come and follow? He seems to be the Messiah. And this is how the gospel goes forward. But here's what's fascinating, because if you look at the next verse, all of a sudden we see the first opposition to the invitation. Because what happens is in the next passage, if you're like me, I want to invite people to church. However, I'm afraid if I share Jesus with them, they may ask a question I don't know the answer to. Or they may have an issue with something they've heard Christians believe or with something they've heard the Bible teaches. And it's going to be some kind of opposition and I'm not sure I'm prepared for or I'm confident enough to deal with that. So sometimes it's easier to just pass on that. And you may think, well, it was easier in the first century than it is now, but I want you to see Philip actually experiences that exact same opposition. Look what happens. So it says in verse, uh, let's see, uh, 45, Philip found Nathanael. So now we have another person who he knows who's intentionally going to. Philip found Nathanael, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. He's all excited. I'm beginning to believe. I think he may be someone we need to pay attention to. And about whom the prophets also wrote. Now watch this. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And he thinks he's made his case and he's really proud to have made the invitation. And then we have the opposition. Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? It's kind of a condescension. That's like the poor town around the Sea of Galilee. All the other communities look down on Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? What a great question. That's not a compliment, right? Nathaniel asked. I mean, but let's be honest, there are cynics in all of us. Like we all tend to look down on somebody. Everybody looks down on somebody. It's our natural way. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm guessing people in Dallas look down on people who live in Plano. I, I'm guessing people in Plano look down on people who live in Farmersville. I'm guessing people in Farmersville looked at, well, I don't know who they could look down on, but you know, you get the joke. <laughs> I, I said that for Pastor Dennis. I don't even see Pastor Dennis. Well, make sure you let him know that we were really elevating his town. We love Farmersville. Big fan, big fan. And all of a sudden, he experiences the opposition he fears. I wonder if Philip thought, man, I hope he doesn't know about Nazareth. I hope he didn't say anything because I'm actually going to tell him he's Jesus of Nazareth. I, I hope that's not a problem because I can't even defend Nazareth. I, I, I think it's a one-horse town too. And all of a sudden, that's exactly what Nathaniel does. And here's what I want you to see. There is in me and probably in many of you a temptation to convince someone of the goodness of Jesus. And Philip introduces a completely different way 
that I think is much more effective, more importantly, it's much more the heart of God. I want you to see his response after he invites Nathaniel, Nathaniel condescendingly says, Nazareth, Philip responds and he goes, well, just come and see. Just come and see. Come and see for yourself. You may be right, but I don't want you to miss out on this. And so when Philip gives the invitation, Nathaniel declines. Philip responds lovingly with another invitation. Nathaniel decides to move toward Jesus. And watch this. When Jesus, verse 47, saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, he says of Nathaniel, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, I know you, Nathaniel. And that weirds Nathaniel out. As he didn't know him. Look at the rest of that verse. Verse 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus, being supernatural God, divine, he says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And immediately Nathaniel goes, now that is not something someone should know. And all of a sudden, however it happens, something like film came off of his eyes and suddenly he sees Jesus differently. And look at verse 49. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He says nothing of Nazareth. Now he says you're the king of the entire nation. All of a sudden, it had nothing to do with Philip's convincing. Philip's job was the invitation. And Jesus, through the Spirit, leads in us today. We see Jesus leading there. And Nathaniel goes and crosses the line from curiosity to beginning to believe. But he doesn't end there because look at the last couple of verses here. Look at verse 50. Jesus said, Nathaniel, you believe because I told you I saw you under the tree. That's good, but it's going to get better. He says, you will see even greater things than that. And then he said, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is a title he's given himself as the Son of Man. Now, if you'd like to write in your Bible like I do, you might write in the margin right here beside, verses, beside verse 51, Genesis chapter 28, because Genesis chapter 28, he's actually referring to an old story that Nathaniel would have known where Jacob has a dream and it's often referred to as Jacob and the staircase or Jacob and the ladder, where heaven and earth are connected with a ladder and angels are descending and ascending. And what Jesus is telling Nathaniel, and this is critical because this impacts all of us, he's telling Nathaniel, you want a faith that I can give you and I will be the bridge between heaven and earth. And I will give you access not only to heaven, but to God himself. What you desire most, you may not even know it. Jesus says, I can give you. And I will be the bridge that gives you eternal life. I will be the bridge that gives you access to God. I will be the bridge that makes this life make sense. I will be the bridge that introduces you to the one who's in control and the one who is sovereign. This is the moment where Nathaniel goes, you know what I finally realized? I believe Nathaniel must have thought this. All this time, God, you've been up to about 10,000 things and I've been aware of about two of them. And isn't that the way he still works today? And Nathaniel sees something he's never seen before. And he sees God in a whole new way. And all of a sudden, John began to write these stories down. 
in the very first chapter of his letter. And here's the question. Why in the world did John think this was so important to record it for us? What is it that John hoped that we would get out of it? He actually tells us exactly why he recorded those conversations and those transformations where someone went to having lots of questions to beginning to believe. And he answers why he wrote it down in our memory verse for this series. So we're gonna put that back up there and I want you to say it out loud with me again as it answers our question why John chose to record this story. Say it with me. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 20, 31. I believe John the Apostle was that other disciple. And he went from having a lot of questions and witnessing lives changed and people believing and he discovered something that I often forget. Believing begins with Jesus. And it's coming back to the fundamentals. I don't know if you're one of those people that says, you know what, I just don't know if I want the faith of my parents. I don't know if I want the faith of, of people who are around me who don't seem to model what Jesus would be about. I, I've become disillusioned with the church or with Christianity or with God himself because of what I see around here. And I think John would step into this moment and say, come back to Jesus again. Because that's where faith always begins. That's where belief is found. See, I don't know if you remember back when you fell in love for the very first time. Maybe it was in high school, maybe it was in college. For, for me, I remember when I was single and I was in the Air Force that I had a real clear idea that before I ever got married that I would make sure that I had finished my undergrad, I would get debt free and I would buy a house and I would kind of have my life together. And then in the fall of 1993, I went to church, and after church, I met this girl named Ginger. And we began to spend time together, and as we began to spend time together, I began to get to know her. But I let her know, and, and I was committed to, this is good, but I need to finish my undergrad, I need to get debt free, I, I kind of need to get my life together before we take that step. I'm just not ready. We continue to get to know each other. I begin to know her better. I begin to understand her a little bit more. And that gave me courage to take more steps toward her to the place that at some point it dawned on me, well, we could accomplish those goals together a lot better than I can alone. And I kind of love her. Okay, I do love her. <laughs> I just re realized how that sounded. <laughs> Valentine's Day tomorrow, I'm good, right? And so we accomplished those things, but we accomplished them together and we got married. And here's what I believe. When it comes to our faith with Jesus, I think it's very similar. I think that we come with questions that we don't have answers to. We come with doubt. And sometimes we believe and then we don't. We aren't sure, but we can become more sure. And it's sort of like this tide in an ocean. And we come and we have all these questions that we bring to Jesus. And most of us who follow him, if we were honest, we would say, we got some of those questions answered, but we didn't get all of them answered. We got some of those doubts res resolved, but we didn't get all of them resolved. Uh, th that would be kind of arrogant for me to expect to be able to do that. But along the way, I began to know Jesus. I began to 
spend time with him. I, I think I began to understand him a little bit more and it gave me courage to t- keep taking steps toward him. And as I began to take steps toward him and the relationship began to develop more and more, those questions didn't go away, but they began to diminish a little bit. And all of a sudden, I had the courage to realize me and Jesus together can tackle this a lot better than me alone. And I take the step of faith and say, God, I'm all in. There's a lot I don't understand. You're up to 10,000 things and I'm usually aware of about two of them. So God, I've got to come with an open hand and my questions and my doubts, but I trust your goodness. I trust your sovereignty. I trust what you know that I never will. God, I give my life to you, even though all these things are still here. And I think most of us who are here would say, that's kind of how our faith works. There are still things we bring in with us, and we're going to be honest and not claim to have the answers, not claim to have no doubt, not claim to have uh, the confidence all of the time, but we're discovering this Jesus who changes everything. And it begins by knowing him. So once again, I come back to this phrase, at its core, Christianity is not a system to believe, but a savior to behold. And he's worthy to behold. He's worthy to put your eyes upon him and to gaze upon him and to discover all that he's done for me and for you and how it makes no sense that a God would love us that much to leave heaven and lay his life down for me and for you so that I could go free of all my brokenness and all my propensity toward badness. And he keeps loving me and extending arms to me and even letting me bring my questions to him what a good God and I want to just say to you if that's you I believe if you don't believe yet you're in the right place and I would encourage you if you have a desire to believe that belief begins with beholding him with gazing upon him again starting there again don't start with the issues or what you're not sure about or because you know the truth is we might not be either but we found the messiah the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and he's worth gazing on and getting to know so if you're here and you want to take that step i just want to give you some practical ideas on how you might do that you might just want to take the rest of john and spend time reading it But let me give you some ways that you can give some mental attention to Jesus this week because I believe it'll be time well spent. Number one, you might just read our memory verse every day. You might might wanna download a Bible app and and let it cue you for the verse of the day and spend some time in it. You might wanna pray. Maybe it'll be at the stoplight, it'll be in the shower, it'll be in a conversation. If you're like me when you're commuting, Jesus is sitting in the passenger seat and we're just gonna have a conversation, but you're gonna intentionally spend more time focused on him and I want to invite you to come back the next two Sundays here's why over the next two Sundays we're going to see Jesus take these same people who didn't believe and are just beginning to believe and he takes them and advances a step forward and then another step forward and it's a journey that I believe he wants to invite us all into so I want you to see how this story ends So I want to invite you. Now, some of you may say, you know, I'm all in. I believe. I I love and follow Jesus even though I don't have all the answers. And I want us to also learn from Andrew, from John the Apostle, from Peter, from uh, Philip, and from Nathaniel. Because at the end of the day, when you believe, when you get more connected to Jesus, I want you to ask God to reveal one person that you could invite to come and sit with you. Because whenever we invite people to the source of life, it gives us life. And it is one of the reasons we are here today is to keep pointing people to Jesus. Now the whole story began with John, um, John the Baptist saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I just want to end it with how the story ends because uh, John the Apostle 
actually ends up recording in the book of Revelation what is happening in heaven. And I want you to see it. It's in Revelation chapter five. It says, they are declaring in heaven, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He's worthy. And I want to invite you once again, wherever you are on your faith journey, to just behold him again. And let's get back to the one who gave his life for you. Let's get back to the one who loves you most. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Wherever we are on the faith journey, you invite us. We don't have to have accomplished anything. You just invite us to abide in you. So God, I, I pray you help me. I pray you help us to focus on you in new ways this week to be aware of your presence in new ways. And maybe like never before, see Jesus Christ, who he is as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, this is the, this is the struggle because there's so much noise in this world that tries to get my eyes on other things, other people, other burdens, other goals. God, I just wanna echo the, 1,500 year old words of St. Patrick who prayed a prayer that I'm still trying to figure out how to live. Christ with me. Christ before me and Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me and Christ above me. Christ on my right and Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, and Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me, and Christ in the ear of everyone that hears me. May our eyes this week, God, come back to you and place our hope in Christ alone. I pray, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.